I don't think most people realize that our cravings actually come from our gut more so even than they come from our brain. And so if you want to change what you crave, you've got to change what you eat. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. So when was the last time you had a chocolate cupcake craving or a salted caramel ice cream craving or even a dark chocolate bar craving or a bag of potato chips, right? Was it last week or maybe it was this week, quite possibly last night? Now, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I had a chocolate craving literally yesterday at 2 p.m. on the dot. I don't know what it is about that 2 to 4 p.m. window that, man... I get cravings almost every other day of the week, and it's been happening to me for well over a decade. Now, recently, we have been on my 14-day detox protocol. We've actually done it well over 21 days now. We're almost going to make it to 30 days before we leave for our trip. I will tell you, the first 14 days, I was rocking it. I felt great. I've done the protocol many, many times before. No crazy cravings. But then I don't know if my body just knew that the 14 days were up, but all of a sudden, I started getting these chocolate cravings in the middle of the day. And although I haven't succumbed to them, I've been really diligent. I've done a lot of other things like drinking sparkling iced tea or going for a walk or doing some jumping jacks or cuddling with Kingston. Still at the end of the day, I really want to understand why we crave what we crave and what we can do about it, right? Because there are often moments and times where killer cravings definitely get the best of us. And I know it messes with our metabolism, it messes with our blood sugar, and it can even mess with our weight in the long term. I also wanted to explore what is the difference between hunger and cravings and appetite and also really begin to understand the main hunger hormones that are driving cravings along with the stress hormones and sex hormones because at the end of the day, all of these hormones are at play when it comes to having this unmet need. So in order to go deeper in this conversation, I invited a dear friend, Dr. Amy Shaw, who's actually been on the show before, to come on and talk about why we crave what we crave, and literally what we can do about it. Now, before I welcome to the show, I want to quickly sing Dr. Amy Shaw's praises. Now, Amy is a board-certified medical doctor and nutrition expert with training from Cornell, Columbia, and Harvard Universities. Drawing from her background in internal medicine and allergy and immunology, as well as her own wellness journey, she has dedicated her practice to helping patients feel better and live a healthier life through integrative and holistic methods. Now, she is a author already. She wrote the book, uh, Why Am I So Effing Hungry? And she's got this new book coming out as well. She also was named one of Mind Body Green's top women in wellness to watch in 2015 and appears regularly on television shows and podcasts. So I would love to have you help me welcome her to the show. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Amy, honey. How are you doing today, girl? Oh, happy thank new year. you so much for having me and happy new year. It's so great to talk to you in the new, new year. I know, gosh, 2023. Ooh, and I'm so stoked to be talking about your book, but really quickly, how was your holiday? How did it feel? Was it wonderful spending time with family all the while getting ready for this book? 
Oh yeah. It was like the mix of everything. So I had a great time. We went to Puerto Rico just with the four of us. We talked off air, but having kids is like such an experience. But when they start to get older, they start to have really, really busy lives, especially today. They have all these sports and commitments. And so really all of us not being plugged in was a unique experience. And I really enjoyed that. And, you know, new year, new beginnings, it's always so exciting to kind of think about all the possibilities for the whole year. And I always like to do an edit of my year past about the healthy things that I did, the things that made me happy or successful or experiences that were positive. And then on the other hand, make another list of things that consistently were negative and people that consistently brought me down or experiences and food and activities and habits that were consistently negative so that I can do a good edit on my year. I love it. So it's kind of like a year reflection. Yeah. And did you sit down this last week to do your reflection or when was that? I did. All I did is I pulled up the notes section of my phone without any distractions. And I said to myself, What were the experiences, the people, the events, the habits, the foods that really made me a better person this year that were positive, that impacted me in a positive way? And it was easy to think of those things because when you think about your year, there's some standout events that happened and it was because of a person or it was because you took a certain action. And so I made a list of those. And then I made a list of the things that I felt like really didn't go well that I wanted to learn from experiences that were thought to be promised of something, but didn't end up being that way. Projects that failed and kind of trying to take a look at what it is about these things that they have in common. And you'll be surprised that most of these things have something in common. The negative things have something in common or a few things in common. The positive things have a few things or people or experiences in common. And that I've been doing that for a few years. And I've noticed that there are certain people or experiences, habits, things I do that consistently bring me happiness and success. And so that kind of helps you frame your next year to do more of that. Mm, I love that. You can get super clear when you kind of reanalyze and you're like more of this and less of that. Yes. Love it. Love it. Do you want to share one of the things that you want more of this year? Yeah. So there are a few different people, um, connections in my life that I wrote down. And these people have consistently helped me grow in my business. They've consistently helped me meet new people. They're like the people that if they hear about opportunity for you, they'll give you a call. And so I think that those people I wrote down because I want, I wanted to be very clear who those people are. So one, I can be that for someone else or them and back to them. And two, because I want more of them in my life in 2023 and more people like them in my life because there were some attributes about them that were very similar. It's interesting because most of the things that I gleaned from my positive list were people. Even the healthy habits that I picked up over the year, I got into the best shape of my life this year. And it was because of people in my life, at least, it starts to boil down to like, who are the people that I'm 
bringing into my life, either as coaches or mentors or friends or colleagues. So that was really interesting. Mm, I love that. Yes. More of them in your life. And you've got a book out coming up, actually coming out like right now. I know when we're interviewing today, we're interviewing at like the third day of January, but we're going to plan to get this out literally when your book comes out. And it is a kind of a follow-up to your last book. And it's called, Why Am I So Effing Hungry? And what's the deal about all these cravings? And so I wanted to just first start the conversation around this of were there years, were there times in your life where you struggled with cravings, where you were like, I am so freaking hungry. Like I'm going to literally eat somebody <laughs> or eat yeah, a- Absolutely. And I part of all these physician groups. I'm part of all these women's groups. I'm part of, I have friends and almost every conversation, as you know, as a woman, there is some conversation around either it's mm-hmm. diet or it's how do I get into my best shape or how do, why am I so t- hungry all the time? And why do I have these cravings? And what I didn't realize back then, I thought this was just about weight and how you look in a bikini or like, you know, wanting to be skinny. But really what I realized it was about your mental health which is why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because I realized that what we crave, why we crave really does matter because our mental health is very linked to our gut health. And so our gut cravings are making us take action to get foods, but the foods that we choose are then deciding our mental health. And so the food mood connection was something that I was like, oh my God, I had no idea that, you know, people who are eating these super, and I'll define what this means, extra ultra processed diets, like primarily ultra processed foods, they're 80% more likely to have depressed mood symptoms, anxiety, mood symptoms, low mood days. And to me, I'm like, thinking about my kids are teenagers and most teenagers these days in America eat 75% ultra processed foods. And this mind gut connection is something that I felt like, wow, more people need to know about this because we're going the wrong direction in our modern world. And we need some knowledge because once we have knowledge, we can change something. Okay. Well, let's talk about, and you're absolutely right. Gosh, our kids are eating 75% ultra processed foods filled with preservatives, additives, sugar. I mean, all the things that are totally messing with our gut, messing with our energy and ultimately messing with our brain. I would love for you to just connect a little bit about the chicken or the egg. (laughs) Yeah. So is it that I'd love for you to kind of dive down? Is it us consuming these ultra processed foods, they're obviously having an impact on our gut and then having an impact on our mental well-being. Or is it that when we're stressed or we're exhausted or we're overwhelmed, that we our brains are wanting to reach for something that's more ultra processed that ultimately creates the spiral? Yeah. Have you seen that's a great question? <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. So originally we think that this happens because we have kind of food memories. And so processed food companies knew that if they had Coke and Gatorade and Doritos and at baseball games, for example, um, you would enjoy the game with your family as a kid and you would be eating these foods and equating that memory of fun and comfort and family time with that food. And we still do that. I mean, I do that 
maybe there's foods that comfort us. There's food that remind us of a good time. Uh, there's memories that we have made. But what I want to empower people to do is, hey, you can make new memories. It's like that brain wiring is created to make it easy to get comfort and make it easy for us to feel relaxed. But we can change that and we can rewire it so that there's more positive things. So you may instinctively reach for a glass of wine or a piece of cake to comfort you. But what if I told you there were other things that could give you the same comfort? You just had to retrain those steps. And when you do retrain that, that becomes your default, like taking a sunny walk or taking a nap if you're tired, getting some nature time. There are things that you can do that release dopamine, serotonin, endorphins that aren't negative and that aren't food. And that's what I kind of teach in the book. Oh, interesting. Well, I, you know, I was wondering, I talk a lot about this too. I've talked about this a lot of the years. I'm always talking about like, what's the unmet need? Like, yeah. what are we really craving? But what I've learned, and I'm curious to see if you've learned, because absolutely the swaps of going and taking a walk or doing jumping jacks or going and hugging your dog or your toddler or whatever it is, those are so powerful and effective. But one of the things I found that had been easy for people in terms of swaps was actually food, but like a food upgrade. So for instance, yeah. taking snacks to the game or taking snacks to the zoo, or even during the holidays. I was at a family function and the holidays are always these foods. Yes. There's always from this place, there's this thing. And a lot of them are ultra processed. One of our things in our household is that we still want the yummy holiday foods, but they're major upgrades, right? Yeah. Good for your blood sugar. They're good for your gut health. They're good. We found ways to make swaps that still feel the nostalgia of the season or nostalgia of the game or the zoo or wherever you're going, whatever you do with your family, the going to the beach, for instance, Mm -hmm. but there's an upgrade. There's like a food swap that then becomes the new nostalgia. Does that make sense? Absolutely. One of the biggest tips I give to people is when you are trying to retrain your brain to find joy in these new foods or new actions, you have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, when you're an addict, you have to take the a different route home on purpose and be aware. Because if you just default to your old self, you will go to that liquor store, or you will eat that food, or you will want that easy dopamine boost. Being aware and intentional about changing your habits and then it becomes kind of a pattern. And then over years, people say, oh, it's so easy to be healthy. And But that's because you trained yourself intentionally for years, just like you know that training that we had unintentionally happened. And so it is possible. So what I basically am teaching people is one, what has happened and two, how we can intentionally change it. And exactly like what you said, you can choose healthier swaps. I talk about foods that actually release dopamine, like that actually boost the dopamine in your brain, foods that actually release serotonin, things that can give you a boost in your mood, uh, your energy levels that don't necessarily involve the old stuff that you used to do. One of biggest thing I believe is that we need to know what these companies, what this conditioning has 
inadvertently and on purpose done to our brains and how that works so that we can change it. Like I tell my kids all the time, getting a ice cream bar that has all these additives to it or a frappuccino from Starbucks, right? There's going to be a dopamine rush, like a machine gun. So when you first switch to eating cherries and an ice cream for your dopamine, it's not going to feel like the same machine gun burst of dopamine because those things are engineered that way. You want to get kind of water gun splashes of dopamine all day long. And that's how you keep it up instead of always seeking out the very, very big rush. Because (laughs) otherwise, all you want is the big kaboom and you want more of that. And that's uh, our pathway to depression and disease. Yeah. Well, I think about that big kaboom, especially around like the frappuccinos or the ice cream cone or whatever the thing is. It's also a massive blood sugar hit, right? Like it's a combination of a couple of things. Not only do you get the dopamine hit, but you also get the blood sugar. Like it's a combination of a lot of things that are making the big firework experience. And yeah, it is super hard to go from having the vanilla chocolate shake or the sundae to a bowl full of cherries and strawberries and some homemade, no sugar coconut whip, which is what we do in our family. Yeah. Right. Like we do a little bit of like cinnamon. My husband whips it up himself and we put it over some strawberries and that's what we do. And it is, it's a big, a big jump from that. I mean, obviously we got to a place where we are absolutely okay with that, but is the awareness, the, Hey, maybe the kabooms aren't good for us. Yeah. And two, How do we let go of these big kabooms that are really actually not serving us over time? And we create more little moments throughout the day, these little mini bursts, the different types of activities that we do that have us feeling more stable throughout the day and have us being nourished. So is that first part of the conversation just saying, hey, do people buy into the kabooms not being great for us? Is that the first step? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing to realize is that it's similar. I think people feel the same way they feel like an alcohol hangover, like a big party hangover. I think most people can relate that when they go on a big, unhealthy week of eating, they kind of feel down later. And it's the same thing. Like I say, you know, you got your dopamine hits, your body is not happy with all that food that you just ate. And now you're paying the price. So I think most people can relate to that. What is really sad to me, Mirza, is that I just saw some studies that showed that the more food insecure you are, the more likely you will be addicted to food and these chemicals and these ultra processed foods. And it's so sad to me to say that not only are they getting nutritionally devoid food, they are also the most addicted to these foods. And so what we're creating is populations of people who are undernourished and have mental health problems and addictions to these foods when we know that there's a better option. We know that there are more nutritious options. And now we know that there's inexpensive nutritious options. And so it's really, to me, food insecurity populations, the young adults who are just inadvertently making themselves more and more addicted to these foods. That's what really scares me because we see we have a mental health crisis in this world. We are now at four in 10 adolescents have some kind of mental health disease. It is really scary. The direction, this is the quiet before the storm, you know, like we're not going to see the long-term effects of this 
until we're in our older years and this new generation of highly addicted and highly depressed people come into adulthood. Mm. Yeah, no, I, as a mama to a toddler right now, we go to the zoo or we go, you know, all these places and you see younger kids consuming Cheetos and Gatorades and churros. And I mean, highly ultra processed foods. We bring all of our stuff in. Yesterday I made banana muffins. It was just bananas, bananas, you know, and almond flour. And I, but it is all homemade. It was all clean ingredients. It's significant, like maybe a gram of sugar per muffin. But I know that everything that we put in our bodies, especially these younger bodies, these these younger babies and toddlers, it really is creating their brain moving forward and really setting them up one way or the other. And it can start so, so early. Super scary. And that awareness. But let's say, you know, obviously it would be great for all of us to start with our children being super, super young and our babies. Like my son's never had juice, obviously. Love it. Or even milk. It's water. It's water all day. Or maybe I'll make a decaf tea for him, like a, a peak tea. Anywho, I just wanted to speak into starting as early as we can and educating us as early as we can to avoid our children having these addictions or our children having mental illness, I think is huge. But let's say we are at an age where we've got teenagers or we've got young adults or just ourselves are listening to this. And that first step you talked about was awareness, right? Even noticing the kaboom or or noticing the big dopamine hit or noticing when we're having cravings, it's two o'clock in the afternoon or it's 11 a.m. or it's 9 p.m. And you know no, no amount of late night eating is going to serve you at any capacity that, that is disrupt, disrupts all circadian rhythms. <laughs> yes. How do we start with awareness? Like how do we notice? And is there a formula to becoming more aware? And what's the step of that first moment of like, Oh, I need some chocolate right now. Okay. I noticed that I'm needing that. Are there questions that we should be asking ourselves? Yes. Should we like run away from the kitchen as fast as possible? <laughs> like what should we be doing? <laughs> okay. So it's obviously there's no one answer. And if there was, I mean, this would be a pamphlet, not a book. It's basically, I give a five-step plan. And one of the steps is really doesn't have to do with food at all. And it's something that you mentioned, circadian rhythms. One of the steps is really trying to understand that we are sun powered and we are even our gut microbes that live deep into our inside the intestines that don't even see the light of day. They are sun powered. They get feedback from us about what time of day it is. So we need to take into account the fact that our bodies, our brains, our gut needs input from natural light. And that's why nature is so good for your health That's why sunlight, that's why movement in nature is so good for our health. So one of the steps has nothing to do with food. It's really, listen, in the pandemic, we didn't do much, but we were so tired all the time. I mean, fatigue and illnesses, chronic illnesses, mental health illnesses skyrocketed. And it wasn't because we were so busy. It was because we were doing horrible things to our health, like staying indoors without seeing any light of day, staying up late at night, eating food delivery, you know, at midnight and sleeping at odd hours. Now we know that one of the biggest hypotheses about chronic fatigue, about depression, about anxiety is a disruption of your circadian rhythm because every single one of our cells and especially our brain need to have a schedule. And it doesn't have to be like a military schedule, but it just needs input of light during the day, 
a feedback of darkness at night. If you stop eating your meals two to three hours before bed, it gives it a signal like, okay, yes, this is matching up with the melatonin secretion. She stopped eating. It's time to turn on the repair and the renewal processes. It's it's time to pump out that growth hormone because she's sleeping now at that normal time. So really that nighttime schedule, especially is super important in getting that growth hormone burst, which for everyone listening is your youth hormone. It's your beauty sleep. When they say beauty sleep, they're referring to growth hormone. It's the one that people, athletes abuse because it's so good at treating injuries and uh, building muscle. And so fixing those circadian rhythms would be the number one step that I would tell anyone to do. So For example, your child, right, from zero to five, you have the most chance to change that gut-brain connection. This is the time everything is so plastic and he's learning everything that you feed him and teach him and circadian rhythms are being set and immune patterns are being set and all these things are happening. So you're at a great place with your child, but then they get into the teenage years and America, the way it's structured is really disregard circadian rhythms for kids in many ways, older kids. So they're uh, practicing until 9, 9.30 at night. And so by the time they shower and get their meals, it's too late to be eating. And then they have very early starts to school. So they're often not getting adequate sleep. And then they're getting very little sunlight, a lot of them, because they don't play sports or they don't spend time outside and everything's indoors. And so I notice that that's when things start to go awry. And then things like the pandemic, you take a population who's already has poor circadian patterns, and then you make them stay indoors and have no sense of time. And you basically create um, mental and physical health problems. So that is the step that I think everyone could take just today without even changing anything about their diet. Mm. And so quick and dirty, really quickly, Amy, will you share a little bit, like what are the three best ways? I know that you mentioned a couple for getting our circadian rhythm back online. And as parents, a lot of us, our parents who are listening to this, we're modeling this for our kids and we can help participate with them every evening, every morning to kind of set them up. So what are like quick and dirty, the highest way in which that we can like the biggest thing for our buck, getting our circadian rhythm back on track. Yeah. Number one thing you can do if you do nothing else is go outside for two to five minutes in the morning and get natural sun. This can be as easy as parking your uh, car a little bit farther. So you have to walk outside for two to five minutes. I would up that to 20 minutes to get ideal amounts of nature time every day. Is My goal is always 20 minutes a day. That's my goal for my children, myself. And getting that with a walk is the easiest way. So 20 minute, two to 20 minutes of natural light every morning, before say 10 o'clock is ideal. And then not eating late at night. Stop Mm -hmm. eating two to three hours before bed. You want to that three, two, one technique, like three hours before bed, you stop eating. Two hours before bed, you stop working. And then one hour before bed, you stop all electronics. And so that you basically, I even have like a five, four, three, two, one, because five hours before bed, I don't have any caffeine. 
four hours before bed, I start to do kind of a evening walk. I get too. some evening input. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then three hours before bed, we stop eating. Two hours before bed, you stop any work. And then one hour before bed is no electronics. And sometimes for me, it's 30 minutes, but it has to be 30 minutes an hour of just electronic free, which is the hardest part, I think, for most people. And then um, having blackout sleep. So meaning like if you can't get blackout curtains and you can't have a dark room, then you wear a face mask and um, you sleep seven to nine hours, that in itself, just doing those couple of things will change your mind-body health in ways that you couldn't imagine. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. We follow literally that five-hour all the way to the one hour. We actually do. We eat four hours prior to going to sleep. We just find our son eats early. So we just eat early with him. Wow. And then we always take a 20-minute walk to the beach before dinner. Great. So here's what I've learned so much, especially being in my 40s and watching my two-year-old, everyone feels better. Everyone's, I don't know what my little two-year-old metabolism is doing, (laughs) but I can tell you what mine is doing and my metabolic flexibility, my metabolic health is so much better when we are eating a little bit earlier. We give ourselves a big break between dinner and when we go to sleep, we have blackout curtains for every single room where we sleep in. We electronics goes off, like we have downtime and connection time and it changes everything. And we make sure that we're outside in the morning, every morning. Yeah. Unless it's like pouring rain, which doesn't do a lot. It doesn't, it's not often in Southern California. So I know, I know it's, it is. And people tell me all the time, like I live in this state or I live in um, super gloomy. And so there's workarounds. You can get a sun lamp from Amazon. Obviously there are things you can do even on cloudy days. You can get enough light into your brain to really turn on those circadian receptors. So there's lots of things. I think circadian rhythms is one big, huge portion of it. And then the foods we eat. I mean, the foods we eat have so much power over our mood and our cravings. I don't think most people realize that our cravings actually come from our gut more so even than they come from our brain. And so if you want to change what you crave, you've got to change what you eat. And I think that connection, even for me, didn't come in medical school. Like they never told me like, oh, cravings come from the gut brain connection. It was like cravings were something that you had no control over, you know, and it was this part of your brain that was pretty stable throughout your life. And so I really was excited and surprised that you could do a lot to change your cravings. And so I basically say to people, hey, first figure out if you're hungry or you're just craving. Hungry means you have a nutritional need for food. We don't need to be eating food all the time. In fact, humans can go over a month without eating food. It's like crazy for to even think about that. It's just need water. Um, so Our hunger hormones are a reminder, a friendly reminder to go get food. You know, ghrelin, our hunger hormone, will peak at regular times throughout the day when it knows that you typically eat. It can be trained also. So if in the beginning, say you want to stop eating right when you roll out of bed at 6 a.m., you can train your ghrelin to peak a little bit later so that you're not hungry until 7 or 8 a.m. And then... So ghrelin is a patterned hormone that's cyclical and that you'll notice that there are certain times of the day you typically are hungry. And if you kind of get busy during that time or something happens and you don't get food, it passes. And so that's a reminder. So that's good to know. 
And then the second thing is, it's that cravings are not hunger. Cravings can happen when you're totally full. And we all know that it's like Thanksgiving meal, you know, you still want the dessert, even though you're full and that's cravings. (laughs) So (laughs) cravings is different. Cravings is a biological, evolutionarily preserved mechanism to keep you fed and safe. When there's a famine, there's a war, you still will crave things. And this is how it works. People say, well, what's the point of cravings? So biologically, think about it. Thousands of years ago, you're just strolling through a forest and you see a beautiful tree full of fruit. It's full of fruit, ripe fruit. It's delicious. And you gather it all up and bring it for your family. Your brain is designed to remember that tree, that fruit, where it was, how you got it. Because then when you need nourishment, you're going to remember, hey, I took a left and a right, you know, turned around and there was a tree. So it's a memory. It's a neurologically encoded pattern. And that's uh, created there to keep you remembering and full and ability to get food, even in times of famine or war or stress, right? But we don't really need that anymore. Cravings are kind of just like now annoying reminders and they can be really great, but they can also be created from patterns that were set many, many years ago. And so understand what a craving is. A craving is something that makes you get up out of your seat, even when you're full. You may even drive across town or do something extraordinary to get that food. And then when you eat it, It's almost a mix of pleasure and pain, discomfort and pleasure. Like usually a craving food and people can identify this often with chocolate or ice cream or alcohol. It's like you have it and the whole time you can't really enjoy it hundred percent. You're almost uncomfortable. Like when am I going to get this again? Am I eating it too much? Is there like, am I going overboard? Like, should I cut my portion size? And that is a hallmark of a craving. And often those foods, those substances, they often aren't necessarily good for us to have around all the time, especially the ones that really trigger it strongly. One of the other ways to tell is ask yourself, would you eat a bowl of vegetables right now? I like, I love vegetables and I think you do too. Like I love a nice roasted veggie plate. I don't really want to eat it if I'm full. I'm fine. Like I would eat it hundred percent if I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat it if I'm full. But if you ask me the same question about something that I really crave, glass of wine, fine chocolate, it might be a different answer. And that can help you discern between that neurochemical brain reaction and a true need for nutrition. Mm, I love that. I so appreciate you breaking that down for us and explaining kind of why we needed cravings back in the day for survival. And then how was it not really serving us anymore? Another thing that you said that I wanted to go back to was talking about foods upgrade, food upgrades that will also give you a little dopamine burst that are good for us. Yeah. Especially if someone's dealing with depression or anxiousness or overwhelm. I knew from a long time ago that strawberries were really great at giving you a little dopamine boost. Yes. Yeah. So I would love for you to just rattle off a couple of your favorites because I think people were like, yeah, I want to know what can give me. I love the, the little squirt gun. Like what's yeah. The little dopamine squirt gun. We need that. So remember that 
dopamine producing foods are really, really well preserved in high protein foods, meaning that high protein foods give us a nice sort of dopamine because of the amino acid profile. So if you eat dairy, then fermented cottage cheese or probiotic yogurt, if you eat then eggs, any kind of protein in the morning can be tofu, can be beans, berries, nuts, and seeds. Those are all awesome at giving us a nice little dopamine burst. I mentioned cherries because cherries have a chemical in them that actually helps preserve the dopamine in your brain. So cherries and berries are often used to boost that dopamine in the brain. And then we have serotonin. So the difference between dopamine and serotonin is dopamine is our motivation. Go, go, go get our competition hormone. And it makes us energized. It's very closely linked to adrenaline. So you want those dopamine rich foods in the morning to get you going. So I always talk about having your first breakfast is a high protein, um, whole foods breakfast, right? It can be a scramble. It can be a smoothie. It can be a, I love leftovers from the night before. Oh yeah. Like leftovers yeah. from the night yes. before, or yeah. we have lamb burgers from the night before. Like I'm like, breakfast yeah. can be make it easy. Yeah. Breakfast does not have to be cereal. That's the biggest thing. Please don't let it be cereal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then in the evening, often people want kind of a mellowed out relaxation and comfort feeling. That's your serotonin. Serotonin is your blissed out happy hormone, more like something when you want to just feel really cozy and happy. The way you think about a serotonin release is that tryptophan is converted into serotonin, right? So there's foods, not just turkey, but that are high in tryptophan that actually give us kind of that serotonin boost. So a lot of the serotonin foods are complex carbohydrates. Those are nice to have at the like healthy, you know, sweet potato, oats, things, root vegetables. These are great things to have to boost your serotonin and tryptophan containing foods. And again, nuts and seeds, turkey is one of them and have that kind of, I have a whole list in the book of both dopamine releasing and serotonin releasing foods. And I like to kind of time it so that you get the dopamine burst in the morning, get a little more serotonin in the evening and feel really, really happy throughout the day. And of course we have caffeine. Our coffee boost is dopamine boosting. And then like a very caffeine-free tea that's comforting is more of a serotonin boosting. So you have those things. Oh, there's activities that you can do that actually release dopamine and serotonin. So exercise is an amazing way to both release dopamine and serotonin and endorphins. Um, Sunlight that I mentioned with the circadian rhythms is a great way to boost dopamine. Laughter, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, hugging a loved one. You can be doing things throughout the day, actually, that like gratitude as service to others. Um, These are things you can actually do to mimic this, these feel good chemicals in your brain that people, I think, think we leave it on the table because we think, well, we don't have time for, I don't have time to dance or sing. I don't have time to do a gratitude text. 
to my friends or people who are helping me. But these are things that actually give you that spray dopamine throughout the day, a little burst of sunlight, a little brisk walk, an endorphin rush from high intensity exercise. These are all things that can give you these feelings. There's other ways to make you feel fuller. I talk about like little tricks, like hunger hacks, like walnuts. So interesting. A study with walnuts in a smoothie was able to calm the cravings in a part of our brain called the insula. And it was found because they always knew that nuts, especially walnuts, had this property, but they wanted to do a randomized controlled trial. They did a small one with two different groups of people who got shakes. One got shakes that had walnuts in it that they masked the taste so much that the shakes tasted identical. And they found that in 30 days, there was a significant MRI change in the way that your brain reacts to the foods that you crave. Mm. And so there's lots of little things like that. Oh, I know you're going to love this one. Essential oil, peppermint, peppermint is one of the sense that they did a study where they had people um, sniffing peppermint oil every two hours and found that they had a much higher level of satiation than people who weren't. So like these activities, scents, sounds, foods, I mean, there are so many different ways that we can use little tools, but overall, it's really changing the quality of your diet. Absolutely. I know that at the end of the day, changing the quality of our diet, making sure that we're eating enough protein, we're eating whole foods, we're eating life-giving foods. That's the game changer for our gut and our brain, right? And for our metabolic health. But I get that there's a lot tied to the foods that we eat, like you said, addictions and not even it's, it's aimless, mindless eating that we're not even paying attention to. And we've got to be able to work through those while we're moving in that right direction. And as you said, awareness is a big part of that and slowly integrating different habits, shifting the way that we think about how we should experience a dopamine hit, all of that. I mean, it's like you said, it's not a pamphlet. It needs to be a book. Yeah. It's very multi-layered. Even even the holidays, like you said, are going to a, a baseball game. These things were like, we get triggered into the nostalgia of like, I go to a baseball game. I have a corn dog, a fried corn dog. I drink a big beer, what, whatever it is that you do when you go to a baseball game. Um, when I go to Disneyland, I make sure I, I have a churro when I'm there. You know, like there's these things that people have programmed that we got, I got to have when I do this one thing, it's the holidays. Now it's time for me to eat this, this, and this. And it, it, we absolutely, we can change it. We can still have this beautiful experience. We don't have to have the ultra processed food with it, but it has to be an awareness and it has to be a shift. I think the saddest thing, Marissa, and you, is that we're, our default right now is going towards chronic disease and poor mental health. And I think that if you just stay on this path of normal, you will be suffering. And so I think that that's where I thought, wow, this information is not about, you know, looking cute in your dress. This information is life-changing so that we can stop epidemic of mental and physical health disease. And my family, you know, suffered a lot from uh, diabetes. You know, my parents came from India. They were super excited. They left everything they had. They got here and a few years into, you know, working two jobs, working late nights, eating normal American food. 
Um, my dad and all of his brothers, he has, there's a group of five siblings, all got diagnosed with diabetes as new immigrants to the U.S. And my grandmother at the same time was also diagnosed because they thought, oh, well, let's check uh, her as well. And it was a huge, huge hit because they thought, oh, my God, we worked so hard to get here and we have this whole future ahead of us. And now at that time, at least, it was considered a long lifelong debilitating disease that was just going to progress. And I think for me, that was the first time that I thought there must be something wrong in the way that we're eating or something that we're doing that is creating this disease. And when I learned more and more about it and going through my own stress, anxiety, poor eating habits, gut health issues, I was like, wow, it's more than just diabetes. It's anxiety, it's mental health disease, it's stress, it's infertility, it's acne, it's weight gain, it's heart disease, you know, cancer. That's really the crux of the reason why we should care. In 100%. You know, you think about just diabetes and I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's such a major blow. Um, I have a lot of family members with diabetes too on, on the Mexican side of my family. And it's amazing how quickly we can get these diseases. How yeah. cool, amazing, how fast we can adopt insulin resistance. Like two weeks, you can literally go from no to no insulin resistance to having significant insulin resistance. And yeah, everything has to do with the ultra processed foods that we're consuming. And you're right. We have to be thinking about a nuanced approach in small ways that we can move the needle in the right direction. Because I know, like you said, these, these, the companies that created these products know they're addictive, know that they're messing with our, you know, our, you know, the, the programming, the memories of, of how we think about food, how we associate it with the nostalgia of our life. And, um, and, and they're, they've got a stronghold on our, in our, on our families, on the people that matter close to us. It's a major problem. And I'm so grateful that you've got a book coming out that's helping to address this. And it's really a a targeting one of the biggest concerns, which is the craving piece, the gut connected to the like gut cravings. A lot of us think it's a mental game too. Like you said, it's more tied to our gut and our microbiome than we think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we can change. And I think that's what's exciting about it is that it's not like we have this life sentence of, you know, you're going to crave what you crave and you're going to be addicted to these foods and you are going to get diabetes, cancer, heart disease. It's like we can we can stop that train wreck right before it happens. Um, and that's, I think, what's so important and exciting. And I wish we taught this to every student um, and adult in America. Well, that's why we're having the conversation today. I think people need to realize how big of an issue it is and how really how easy we can make these changes. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. I'm on board with you, girl. I love it. I love that we're having this conversation. It's so important. And I love that there are hacks and ways that we can start to move in the right direction, you know, move away from severe inflammation, move away from cardiometabolic disease, you know, move away from diabetes um, and blood sugar issues, um, because we deserve to feel better. We deserve to live a, a high vitality life. And the ownership is on us. 100%. And I think that there are so many steps, like take this book and even this, just this conversation, even if you took three things out of it, you start to get morning sunlight, you started to change, you know, some of your breakfast habits, you know, three things, and you're going to notice a huge change in the trajectory of your life. Like, I honestly think it's as simple as that. I I agree with you 100%. 
Dr. Amy, honey, thank you so much for coming on. I love that your book is out, basically out right now. Anywhere that you want us to go get it, I'll whatever link you would love me to have, I will have the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah, you can find me at amymdwellness.com. And if you go to amymdwellness.com forward slash book, it's right there. You have all your links there. Go to your local bookstore too. I love um, when we get it from indie bookstores and wherever books are sold. Perfect. Thank you so much again, honey. And congratulations. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Ooh, there was so much to unpack in this conversation with Amy today. And I just felt like I got so much more clarity around the connection between the gut and the brain, especially around serotonin, and that neurotransmitters are playing a much bigger role than we ever could have imagined. But then also that there are truly hacks and lifestyle changes honestly, small changes that we can do every single day to stop being so freaking hungry, right? To stop some of these crazy killer cravings. Now, here's the deal. A lot of it is in her best-selling book that's about to come out, and I'm going to have the link to go pre-sell it right now. It's going to come out later on this month, but I'm telling you, if cravings are an issue, if you've been looking for a way to create hacks around cravings, to really biohack what's going on with your body and your biochemistry, Dr. Amy Shaw, her new book is definitely the book to get. I can't wait to get it. I don't have a copy yet, but I'm definitely ordering on Amazon. Like I said, I'm going to have the pre-order page for you. Go check it out. I'll have the link to Amazon on as well. And I hope that this book really expands your possibility around just setting yourself up for success around energy, metabolism, brain function, just without succumbing to those crazy, crazy cravings. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.